Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to Housefeld's first collective cast of 2023. I'm here with Nicola Boyle, Weston Jaswari, uh, Luke Grimes, and I'm Lucy Rigby. Um, we are going to be looking forward to what we anticipate being a busy 2023. And we're also going to talk um, specifically about a recent procedural innovation in the Competition Appeal Tribunal, namely um, UPO's umbrella um, umbrella proceedings orders. But first, let's take a look forwards at 2023. We're obviously um, starting the year on the back of what was an extremely busy year last year, 2022. Um, 12 claims filed in total, I think. Another one announced announced that um, someone was looking at something, and I think that um, that claim was going to be filed. All of those claims that were filed um, were on an opt-out basis. 2022 also saw six claims certified. We had three judgments, um, important judgments from the Court of Appeal, all of which went to the certification standard. They were in the Gutman Trains case, the BT uh, class action, and in um, maritime car carriers, more commonly referred to as RORO. So three significant decisions from the Court of Appeal there in 2022 as well. 2023, we think, looks set to be just as big. And let's kick off with the certification hearings, um, Luke, in yes. 2023. Yes, indeed. Um, diary, we've already got a couple of certification hearings that are upcoming, the first of which is at the end of the month, uh, which will be the meta certification hearing, uh, the first collective which sort of straddles two big areas of law competition and data protection. Um, and then if we move to April where we'll see um, the certification hearings in respect of the commercial and interregional card uh, claims against MasterCard and Visa. So a busy quarter one on the certification side. Mm -hmm. um, obviously lots of claims filed last year and we're expecting that certification hearings may be listed for those. Uh, including the crypto case, uh, mm -hmm. the Amazon buy box case, and the Sony claim. Uh, so lots, lots to look out for uh, for later this year. I think towards the end of last year, we saw some claims be announced that haven't quite made it onto the CATS website yet. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, one I think last week that I saw was the Yamaha uh, collective. And mm -hmm. um, so another case against uh, musical instrument manufacturers for the RPM practices that were found by the CMA. So lots to look out for. Indeed. Thanks, Luke. And, and Weston, because um, so many cases were certified in 2022, we're now seeing, aren't we, how the CAT, or we ought to see at least in 2023, how the CAT is dealing with um, the case management of some of these cases. Yes, indeed. So there's been um, some progress in terms of that and seeing how the CAT is going to manage these trials. Um, we've seen in terms of uh, some of the cases having timetables to trial. In the case of BT, that was um, very expedited, partly as a consequence of the, the claimant class in that case being um, rather older than your average class. Um, and But also in Panther, which is, um, sorry, the Kent and Apple case, where it was set for trial in um, October 2024. So that's been helpful to understand how the CAT is going to schedule these. Mm. We've also seen um, split trials being sought um, in some of these cases. So also in Kent, but also in Gavia. Um, some of those 
so in in the former that was unsuccessful so they attempted to have a split trial um dealing the, the first of which dealing separately with market definition and dominance mm -hmm. um that was it was decided that that wouldn't be a very clean split and there'd be too much overlap and so it wasn't um efficient case management to do that govia on the other hand um it was already agreed, I believe, that quantum would be dealt with separately, and there was a separate question about whether um, uh, dominance would be dealt with also in a separate trial, and that was successful. Mm -hmm. um, so that's interesting, and I think very much um, as ever comes down to the facts of the case um, in question. Mm -hmm. um, we've also seen uh, early applications for uh, applications rather for early disclosure. Mm. Um, so. That's in uh, in Gutman and in Qualcomm. Mm. So um, again, interesting to see how the tribunal um, addresses those applications. I don't know whether you wanted to say anything about uh, the Qualcomm one, but we've also seen um, applications for preliminary issues in Merricks um, on limitation. Again, where um, it's it's considered to be in the interest of best case management mm. to resolve some of these issues early doors. So again, as I say, I think a lot of that uh, will always come down to the, the facts of the case and, and what is um, most uh, makes most sense on, on the basis of those facts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you say, Wes, the key amongst those is it's, it's case specific and the cat's using its wide case management powers and not sort of taking a, you know, always the same approach in, 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 in each case. I mean, one of the big um, things that we have got coming up, Nicola, in uh, the first half of 23 is this the Court of Appeal hearing in FX. Indeed, Lucien. Um, as Luke said, we've seen three Court of Appeal decisions last year um, expedited to be heard fairly quickly, um, mm. understanding, I think, the impact on the regime. And this is equally as critical. Um, if you recall, the FX um, judgment came out last year. Um, there were two competing claims to be certified on a, an opt-out basis. Um, the court decided it wouldn't certify it on an opt-out basis and left it open to be an opt-in. And so the Court of Appeal um, judgment is going to address this key issue of the opt-out, opt-in test, mm -hmm. and in particular be critical, I think, in understanding how that works in a business class or a class that involve, in, includes businesses. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a related issue there of a, a challenge against the carriage decision um, by O'Higgins, um, obviously subject to, to, to where the certification um, appeal goes as well. So I think that will be really quite key in guidance of other um, CPOs coming up. Yeah. And I think, Luke, one of the ones you mentioned on the commercial cards, indeed, there's an interesting dynamic there where they've split the classes between an opt-out and an opt-in class depending on size of claimants so I think throughout this year um, aided by the Court of Appeal we will see some sort of further um, sort of clarification coming on on the parameters around that. Yeah that will definitely be interesting to see and I think so if that's in April Nicola then actually before that we've got another significant appeal hearing um, which is actually this one in the Supreme Court um, on an appeal stemming from the trucks collectives and this is a funding specific issue because um, one of the defendants there is suggesting in a in a nutshell and very much to, to simplify that uh, litigation funding agreements can constitute damages based agreements um, for the purposes of the relevant 
legislation, which would, I think it's fair to say, have um, some ramifications for the future of the collective actions regime and indeed for, um, for potentially for group litigation um, slightly more broadly. Yeah, indeed. And I think, Lucy, that was rejected by the Court of Appeal, mm. um, but permission granted, in fact, quite late. And so I think perhaps people hadn't realised that had, that was still a live issue. Um, but as you say, coming up in February. Um, and so hopefully will be a relatively quick judgment also to resolve that yeah. issue. Yeah, well, rejected twice before. And yes, I think we certainly hope so. Um, Luke, I'm going to mention the S word. The settlement word. Indeed. <laughs> I think if we were listening to our podcast this time last year, we had predicted a settlement <laughs> in 2022, but Perhaps. unfortunately that hasn't come to pass. Um, maybe we should stick it on the predictions for this year. Mm -hmm. Obviously is an untested area and requires an application from me jointly by both parties. Um, but it will be interesting to see which case um, brings the first collective mm -hmm. settlement proposal. Yeah, and I think especially now with trials listed in 2024, it must seriously be on the minds of defendants as to whether they want to consider that route. Um, yeah, with the, with the key advantage, I think, as you say, Luke, untested, but the key advantage being that the potential reversion um, of the unclaimed of the unclaimed damages. Now, I want to move on to um, this procedural innovation that I that I mentioned up front, UPOs. So umbrella proceedings orders, but it's not the kind of umbrella that you might be thinking. Indeed, <laughs> um, just to set expectations, it's not the, the umbrella damages that of course, we're all familiar with as competition lawyers. Um, rather, the umbrella, umbrella proceedings practice direction, which I think was um, published in June last year, is a further I guess to the cat uh, to the cat's um, sorry arrow to the cat's bow um, in that it seeks to um, resolve some case management um, potential case management issues the idea of umbrella proceedings is that the cats will be um, allowed to group certain issues that are common between different proceedings um, so rather than joining those cases together as a whole it can sort of cherry pick certain issues that may arise between uh, related proceedings or different proceedings. Um, so effectively it's, it's a case management tool and I think the rationale behind this practice direction was to avoid um, inconsistent decisions arising from the tribunal. Of course we saw this in the interchange context a few years ago with three different decisions from two high court um, trials and, and a mm. trial in the CAT as well. Yes, so, so far um, in the tribunal this has only been employed once, and that is in the retailer interchange proceedings. And that is, as you say, Luke, um, learning from the lessons of um, the years gone by in the High Court, where, um, well, there was first the CAT decision and then two conflicting High Court decisions. So um, Marcus Smith, um, as part of the panel on that CAT decision, was obviously um, mindful of that and seeking to avoid it. So there's now been um, a UPO ordered in respect of the, the retailer proceedings. In fact, it hasn't been ordered in respect of Merrick's yet. Mm -hmm. um, it also hasn't been ordered yet in respect of um, the CCI, the Interchange Commercial Cars Collectives, the mm. four of them. Those, as you say, are, are having their CPO hearing in April. So it is um, very possible that uh, following that we will see a UPO in, in respect of, of those claims as well. Um, and we're still very much watching it play out, I think it's fair to say. 
Indeed. I mean, there's, as you say, there's only one UPO to date, um, but you can certainly see the potential for further CPOs, uh, further UPOs, I should say, <laughs> um, to be made. And um, the CAT is becoming an increasingly popular forum for sort of your yeah. ordinary follow-on standalone claims as well as collectives. Um, so I think we're going to see this become more of an issue as we see different claims across different levels of the supply chain mm. um, bring up similar issues. Yeah, just to add to that, I mean, it doesn't. The claim doesn't even need to have been filed originally in the CAT, does it? Because what we saw the tribunal do in this instance was transfer all of those claims that had been issued in the High Court to the CAT in order to bring them under the umbrella, effectively. So we're definitely seeing some very active case management from the CAT in that regard. Yeah, and it's interesting, Weston, isn't it? Because I think, as you've seen, the growth of competition claims that the cat's juggling two two issues really. There, one is how you deal with claims, where there's that volume of claims. I mean, there must be hundreds, if not thousands, thousands. of individual claimants, and clearly, all can't have their own six-week trial each. Um, so it's interesting to see that the cat has had to think about how to to tackle that. Um, alongside then the complication, as you say, of what happens then where you get sort of claims at different levels of the supply chain so some quite interesting issues there I think. Absolutely there's a lot of challenges there I think that is right I mean I think it's interesting to to think about what can be done under traditional case management in respect of multiplicity as you say of, of, of cases um, and there's the separate question of the of the different levels of the supply chain and how you manage um, how you avoid kind of conflicting judgments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still very much a work in progress, I think, um, in, in terms of how we're seeing that play out. But there's certainly the potential, as you say, for that to be broadened to other cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worth adding on that, that, of course, an umbrella proceedings order can be made by the tribunal on its own volition. Mm-hmm. But you can also have parties applying. We obviously have, it, have seen that only one context being interchanged so far. But it's a, it's a tool that's supposed to be sort of mutual between the tribunal and the parties in the tribunal. So mm-hmm. we, we may see some innovations come from the parties in their cases or, or a top-down approach from the tribunal itself. And there's a whole lot, there's a, there's a vocabulary, isn't it, that, that goes along with this practice direction. You can have a host case, right. um, for example, which is very interesting. I assume we're all going to be become much more familiar with the vocabulary of the practice direction um, in 2023. That was everything that we intended to cover. So thank you to Nicola, to Wesson and to Luke. And given the volume um, of collective material that we expect to come um, down the pipeline in 2023, we will no doubt be speaking to you again soon.